Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 27 of season three of This Osteopathic Life. I come to you after recently attending the EntreMD Business School Vision Retreat for 2021 in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. This is a group of which I have been a part for more than the past year. It originated during the pandemic and emerged around the same time I was pivoting myself from traditional private and small group practice to a non-clinical role and seeing how I could expand the mission and vision I have held with this osteopathic life in a new way. And we have met virtually, weekly, for this better part of a year and a half, nearly have to do the math more precisely. And this was the first opportunity we had to meet in person. And it was by far the best experience I've had at an all physician event in my life, in my career. And I had to keep reminding myself that it was a retreat versus a conference. So there were different expectations and rules and roles. And at the same time, much of it was the same context. It was at a destination. I've been to many conferences at many lovely places. It was all physicians. There was an agenda and a schedule, but so many of the elements were truly amazing. One of which, and I have to share it here, was the food. And if you have been with me and maybe you've been following my journey for a while, we have moved toward paleo, I'll say paleo-esque eating. For many years, I shifted my food from my time in high school as a breaditarian, we will say, because there weren't a whole lot of vegetables involved in my non-meat eating life at that time, to more just open whatever eating. And I started eating meat during my first pregnancy and continued on from there and made some shifts to eat local when we became more involved with the farmers living down in Muskegon in Michigan And then for various reasons, particularly because of gestational diabetes with each of my pregnancies, shifting away from sugar and really more explicitly for me, grain, because that was the place I took in the most carbohydrates in my life toward paleo. And for many years, we were pretty strict with that, right? And if you're not familiar with it, paleo eliminates essentially sugars, grains, dairy, and legumes. And then if you move toward the whole 30 type of eating, and I shared that with you in January when we went through that as a family for you know the multiple ith time together, also eliminates alcohol. And for me, I have eliminated alcohol entirely from my life, from my consumption since March of 2016. And I will say, if you also join me over the summer, that I will still let in things like ice cream, right? So there's dairy and sugar in there. And some of the other groups... I can let in sparingly, but I do have some intolerances that have come from my interpretation from overuse. I utilized all my capacity to eat those foods earlier on in my life, and so they're no longer available to me. And we continue to explore and to experiment to see what works best for us. 
my children and my husband have been able to adapt to different foods in different ways. And what I'll say from the experience is that many of us, most of us, are aware of how foods affect us, right? So when we're not feeling well, we can pretty clearly track it back to simply too much of something or a certain food group that was bothersome. So while I can't say how my children will eat forever and ever when they are making entirely all their own decisions, I do see when they are making their own decisions in social spaces that they have an awareness right, of how much of this is going to affect me and they get to make those choices. In any case, long story around to the fact that when I go to most events, I'm generally not able, and I should say I'm not choosing to eat the foods because I know that they won't agree with me. They will leave me feeling unwell. They won't be as nourishing for me. And so most of the time when I arrive somewhere, I find the nearest grocery store and I get foods that I can eat. And they're usually some strange amalgamation, you know, all delicious and good for me. Not always great in combination, but you do the best you can. And when I was traveling more during that year immediately prior to the pandemic for the Osteopathic Health Policy Fellowship, that was actually one of my favorite adventures was finding that space in town and taking the walk and walking it back and having those kind of mini meals in my room as I decompressed from the day. And so I did this with the great generosity of one of my colleagues on the retreat as well. And we found a Whole Foods and I overbought, you know, it was one of those things where I arrived hungry, having not eaten yet on the day of travel and found lots of delicious things. And those things that I associate with being on the road and traveling and in a hotel. And it was so interesting how you find comfort right in the familiarity there. So I bought multiple bags of food and took it all back to the hotel and enjoyed some right then. And I will say, I was very grateful that the hot bar, for as much as Whole Foods gets the whole paycheck reputation, the hot bar had some amazing food, salmon and roasted vegetables for a reasonable price. And I was able to have that meal for the day and headed back to the room. And so the retreat ensued. And what I didn't realize is they were feeding us the whole time. Most of the time as well, when I'm on a physician conference, a physician event, generally there might be one meal that's provided or snacks, but this was full-on meals, breakfast and lunch, dinner on the main night, and beautiful, beautiful food, local food, really well-made food. And one thing that really struck me was that the food was accessible to a wide variety of eaters. So we had many whole food, plant-based diet eaters who were also vegetarian, vegan, whatever that might be for them. And there was beautiful food that was available for them. There was a chickpea salad and so many roast vegetables and different hummus and tahini available. And there was also meat products available, right? There was chicken and steak and fish in different formations, but all cooked really beautifully, really simply, really lightly. And when I looked at it, there was some gluten, right? That can sometimes be a space that can be prohibitive for some, but it wasn't the main component, right? It wasn't something you could add on to the dish that was available to you. There was a wide variety of colors on the table and there was something for everyone and I could eat the food. Now, I generally don't eat breakfast. I don't eat usually till later in the day. That just works better for me for fueling and with exercise. But that lunch meal each day was amazing. And that in and of itself changed the tone of the conference. And I've just spent, looking at the recording time here, right, the better part of eight minutes talking about food. And yes, it is about the food and the experience and the nourishment, the social aspect, the inclusion, the access, the awareness, the accessibility, all of those pieces. And it's also about that effect of being seen and welcomed 
by being able to join in, right? Food and sitting at a table together and gathering around nourishment is a key part of our culture and that engaging experience. And so many times it can feel like you're shut out of that. And you might say, well, just eat whatever's there, right? Go to the restaurant, eat the food. You can choose to join in. And I would say a yes and, you know, yes, that is possible. And it's possible to go and have some water and join in. Or yes, we could go and just eat whatever is there and maybe ignore the signs and symptoms of our body that come through. I also have thought, have I painted myself into a corner with this way of eating that's occurred to me? And should I open up those parameters? I've thought briefly, what would it be like to bring bread back again? And I stay open to that. And I'm still choosing to stay in this space of the foods that really do feel best in my body and respecting that experience of being part of the collective. And what I can see from that is the impact it has when we look at foods for our children. And I recently was reading a post from a fellow physician mom who noted that her children had traditionally eaten quite well. They would take their lunch to school and they would make it at home and would have a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables and whole foods. And this year, this is true in our district, and I think it's true pretty widespread across the country that all school lunches have been made free for all students, which is a beautiful thing, right? Nourishment is so important. And again, accessibility, equality and equity in that space of making this food accessible and not even making it so that getting to the school lunch is an identifier, right? of need, of an inequity. It's just saying, here's this food and it's available to all of you. And also, right, here is this moment for us as a society, us as a collective, us as a government, us as a social structural support to say, what is this food that we're making widely accessible to all? And how can we in this moment take the opportunity to make the food that's accessible to all the healthiest possible food? And it can be beautiful and it can be simple. And yes, I was at a fancy hotel where this food was prepared. And at the same time, the beauty of that food is it was quite simple, right? There was really no fancy recipe. It was really getting back to basics of simple cooking, combining a few fruits and vegetables, some different colors, a couple spices, and that was that. And would it be a paradigm shift? I would say, unfortunately, yes, because so much of what school food is, is actually more complicated, right? Because we look at the lists of ingredients in school foods, there are so many It's chemical engineering to create these foods. And while the preparation ultimately might be easier in the moment, right, the open and reheat type of preparation, all that went into it otherwise is actually much, much more complicated. And so there would be that interval. Anytime we make a change of discomfort, of messiness, of kids not eating any of the food, if you've seen some of Jamie Oliver's food experiments in schools, and then, right, when it becomes the norm and everyone is eating it and gathering around it, it's much more likely for everyone to participate, to feel included, not to feel ostracized by it. And so I'm so curious how that could come through. And to be honest, I didn't see that being where we were going today with this, but also I think it's a key piece that opened up because this retreat was about visioning, right? Visioning, yes, for our businesses, yes, for our personal development, and seeing how experiences in one place can translate and how we can take the positive and the learning and the success and apply it in a new area. So I'm going to take that with me. So in any case, this was a fantastic event. And there were many surprise factors, over deliveries, the connections, the sharing, the vulnerability that was expressed as successes 
that we're honored and we share them each week in our sessions, but it's different when it's in person and you feel compelled to really tune in and offer that up. I spoke of the successes of coaching institutions, which I have formed just in this past year, year and a half. And it was different in a way to be able to bring that forward and to be in a room where visioning was the norm, dreaming big was the norm. It wasn't, are you sure about that? It was, ooh, yes, you can do that and dream bigger. There is more available to you. You are capable of so much more. There's no squashing of ideas. And it wasn't a false hoorah experience. There was a lot of logistical and logical feedback and questioning thoughtfully. And at the same time, there was so much encouragement because it was very clear the potential that was available and that in doing our best, in having these successes, we were offering that to one another and we could only grow from there. Now, one of the other special and unexpected moments was during that main day dinner, also beautiful food, and I was able to make a special request because I am that person. When I'm in a restaurant, I have rarely ordered without having some type of question for the server about ingredients and can I swap this thing out and all the love to those in the hospitality industry and to servers everywhere who accommodate. I limit myself to three, right? three questions maximum, try to go fewer than that. And I will say that at the restaurant we did visit, it was quite simple, right? It was quite simple to simply have the food, meat and vegetables, right? Keep it simple and it works. So at that dinner, which was quite lovely, and I was able to make the adjustment to remove one piece from the plate and to add more vegetables and everything was lovely, there was an award ceremony. And we didn't know there were going to be awards honoring various accomplishments of the students of the EntreMD Business School. And so as it began, the first award was announced. and It was presented in such a way that we were all guessing who it might be. And there were a couple potential candidates. And then it became very clear who it was. And it happened to be my table mate, Dr. Michelle Quirk of Mindful Marathon. And for those of you listening, she has a virtual event coming up. You should register, mindful-marathon.com. You can register. It's a virtual event. There's an opportunity to donate to help children in Philadelphia have access to shoes and access to run and access to health. I'll be doing that. You can do it anywhere you are. It's a 5K. You can run or walk any speed between the 14th and the 21st of November. So go there, sign up. It's going to be an amazing event. We can do it together from wherever we are. And so she received the award right, for all of her accomplishments and being so consistent with each and every challenge in the school. And it was very clear. And she sat next to me. We looked at the award and we were celebrating. And I'll admit through the chatter at our table, I heard my name said by our lovely leader, Dr. Una. And I thought, oh, geez, I wasn't even paying attention. (laughs) And I gave myself a, a mulligan for that one because I was celebrating with my table mate, which seemed totally appropriate. And I looked up and stood up and walked toward the front of the room And it was announced that I was given the Master Collaborator Award for my contributions in the community and engaging with my classmates and lifting them up. And I was blown away. And if you were with me back in the summer of 2020, which is around the time I began with the EntreMD Business School in a prior business mastermind with Dr. Ellie Nowitzki, and she's been one who you've heard referenced in multiple podcasts. She has the podcast Life Coaching for Women Physicians. It's fantastic. Yes, applies to women physicians, but there's so many beautiful pearls in that anyone really can and should listen. And during that original mastermind experience, we had to 
dive down to, drill down to, establish our core values. Right? What type of business did we want to build? And what were those key features and factors of it? And mine were inspiring, revolutionary, and collaborative. Right? Key and core values. And those are the guideposts. Those are the foundations. Those are those guiding lights for me as I develop any program and create any working relationships in my business. And so as I stood next to Dr. Una and amongst all my classmates and the amazing EBS team to receive this award, I really couldn't believe it and I could believe it and I was so grateful and it felt amazing to be seen through that lens, in that space of that which drives me, that which defines me, that was as a foundation of all that I'm doing as I looked around the room, one of the primary reasons for collaboration are the conversations episodes you have heard here on the podcast. So many of those are my Entre Empty Business School classmates. And I went back and we are somewhere in the 30s for episodes that have been recorded and released. In this room, there are 53, some of whom are not the ones who have already been recorded. And there are more in the group who were not able to come to the retreat. And so the opportunities continue to expand. And I looked around and I also saw those who had invited me onto their platforms to have an interview, to share and lead a workout, to share my experience. And that opportunity for connection and strengthening the work that we do together is and will always be key and core to that which I'm doing. And as I went to look up the word collaborate, which you might expect, or if you have any one key word, we'll bring that forward and look at what the definitions offer to us. And it says, right, the essential meaning of collaborate is to work with another person or group in order to achieve or do something. And that whole room and this whole event was collaboration. Right? It was bringing together all these different physicians from all kinds of locations and specialties and stages of practice and, and plans for the future, entrepreneurs in so many different ways. We had coaches and consultants and speakers and product designers and entrepreneurs who were employed physicians and private practice entrepreneurs who were developing new ways to bring medicine to their patients. And together, right, we were coming together to achieve something, to achieve with Dr. Una her mission of helping physicians practice medicine on their own terms, right, to gain freedom, to bring health to medicine as we are in coaching for institutions. And so seeing how that synergistic impact works, how it's available to us, how we can, I want to say exploit it. Sometimes I use that word and it's not what I think it means, right? But I want to look at it from the perspective of lean in, right? Really engage, take advantage of in the best possible way that which is available to us. There's also, interestingly, the disapproving meaning of collaborate to give help to an enemy who has invaded your country during a war. Interesting, right? And we've looked at this in a couple different ways where there can be an unexpected meaning of that word. And what that gave me pause to consider was, how am I making use of collaborate? And how is collaboration available? How can it be used for good? And how can it be misused, abused, right? And where is it that we create certain alignments and relationships that may not be for the health of all things? And what it spoke to me uh, was the importance of being intentional, because it can seem like right, teamwork makes the dream work. And I have to say that I had used that quote during the vision retreat and just this morning 
my daughter was making gifts to take for her school for her birthday celebration and I had helped prepare some of them because the glue needed to dry and we had to get to bed last night so I got some pieces ready and she finished them today and she looked at me as we were putting them together and said oh teamwork makes the dream work and maybe I learned it from her maybe she learned it from me but we learned it together and collaboration was in play even this morning in our house and we can make that assumption we can take that leap that teamwork is always better right better together strength in numbers I use those mantras and lines of encouragement frequently and at the same time doing so blindly can be challenging there have been times and places and spaces where we have found ourselves where I have found myself in a relationship that didn't make sense right in a relationship that was not for the health of all things that was not making either of us better right and I talk about that in the working sense primarily to say oh it seemed like right putting our strengths together would be a helpful thing and what we're realizing is actually we do better in separate spaces or we can turn our collaboration outward from one another and inward toward others with whom the connection makes more sense and i think that's so important to recognize that everyone is not your eligible collaboration partner and that is okay it doesn't mean they are not capable of collaboration. It doesn't mean you are not capable of collaboration. It doesn't necessarily mean either of you is wrong. But it can mean that you have a mismatch of values, of purpose, of availability, of vision, of willingness to share and divide skills and responsibilities. And it simply is a mismatch. That is okay to recognize. I think about that in the patient space. I talked a lot with physicians who are working on building their patient panels and there can be competition. And what if they want to work with someone else and not with me? And in my own practice, I will say, yes, absolutely. There were times when your patient might see one of your partners and you might think, oh, they're going to do better with them and they're going to want to work with them. And there can be, right, that human ego-driven sense of, oh, right, this letdown or disappointment or feelings of failure on your part. And ultimately, it always came back to whatever is best for them. So I want them to have the best experience. And if engagement with this physician is better, that is for the health of all things. Staying with someone out of obligation, out of a sense of responsibility, is not always the best way. And as we gain awareness of that, and this is really that superficial level of where collaboration might not be the best option, or it might not look to you what it looks like to the other person and there can be some incongruency there and perhaps there's opportunities simply to restate the vision mission and purpose and you can find that way forward together or you can say oh this is what I was picturing well this is what I was picturing and those no longer match they're not congruent and so let us be free to pursue those visions independently of one another now you remember that that disapproving definition of a collaborate was to give help to an enemy who's invaded your country during a war and so that can be the extreme end of our collaboration is being used, right, for evil, for not good at best in this situation. And so noticing that, right, collaboration isn't always resulting in a positive outcome. And now that's all relative to the person's perception, because in this particular example for the enemy, it very much might be the positive outcome they are looking for, but it may not be the one the remainder of your country people are looking for. And so just recognizing that, am I using collaboration to work toward this goal of health, healing, or otherwise? 
or am I collaborating and is it detrimental? And I work a lot with physicians in institutions and there are a lot of questions that come up around when the value system no longer seems to match or the system doesn't seem to have the best interest of the individual at heart. And one of the key pieces I take into these situations was really a critical piece of training in the Osteopathic Health Policy Fellowship and all credit to Dr. Barbara Ross Lee and her teachings and her fervent dedication to paying attention to, aiming towards staying on the high ground of optimal patient care. Because in medicine, that is still our purpose, right? is to provide the best care we can to first do no harm, to honor the health in, of, for, through our patients. And so anytime a critical issue comes up and a sense of injustice, unfairness toward the physicians particularly, asking the question of how can we use the attention toward the higher ground to address this issue? And that's not to ignore it and say physician suffering is fine as long as patients get taken care of well. It's noticing that those two cannot coexist, right? Misuse, mistreatment of physicians cannot ultimately in the long term sustainably provide optimal patient care. And so it's a both and situation. And here is that opportunity to recognize with what are we collaborating? With whom are we collaborating? With what key principles are we in partnership? And if we are no longer aimed toward the higher ground, if the system is not, right? And if we still are, or if there is some friction there, checking in. Am I still focused on the higher ground of optimal patient care? And what does that look like? And it doesn't necessarily look like more patients per hour, per week, per year. It doesn't mean shorter times per visit and higher RVUs, right? Now, those things can be part of a sustainable system because there are, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, bottom lines, right? There are salaries to be paid and benefits to be paid and supplies to be rendered. And so we do have that picture. There is still a business and financial component and numbers, metrics are part of that. And at the same time, looking at that long-term vision, there are ways in which we can serve patients more effectively, find that sweet spot of time in the room and support of the responsibilities that go on beyond the time in the room with the patient to make that work. And the best, I won't say the only, but the best in my experience way to do that is to continue to put it through that lens, put it through that filter. How is this serving that high ground mission of optimal patient care now and sustainably going forward for the practice of medicine, for the health of our community? And through that lens, we begin to get feedback on how we can make adjustments and knowing that it does mean caring for ourselves as physicians having a voice, being part of that planning process. And it's also okay to not always be the person who's in charge of making all those decisions. That's one of the benefits of being an employed physician is having someone else take care of some of those details. And again, there too is the sweet spot of how much input do I give? How much responsibility do I have? And reframing those circles around what is mine to control? Where have I given up my control? Where can I reclaim it? How can I stand confidently in my responsibility to own my power in this space? How can I release those things that I absolutely cannot control? How can I encourage the same behavior and 
mindset for my patients? What can you control here? What is your responsibility in the best way? Because it means you can make the meaningful change in this situation. And where is the system responsible? And therein, where do we hold accountability? So all of those pieces are available to us. And we're thinking about collaborate. Medicine is collaboration in every moment. And it is also still individual responsibility, awareness, engagement, action. That's happening. And I picture some of these bubbles, and I don't necessarily like the vision of being siloed, but we are our own person. And we are also in this larger bubble of the collective. And we can see and also decide how our interactions, how our energetic engagement contribute to the greater good and decide how we want to show up as collaborators, how we want to align our mission, vision, purpose, energy, gifts, talents, time, and how we can together achieve or do something and how we can also get clearer on what that something is. Like I said, it was the vision retreat. Gaining clarity was a key part of it. And in so doing, we can ensure that the something toward which we are aiming and working is for the health of all things. And we can see what that means for us personally and professionally. We can ask others what it means for them. And together, we can be key contributors and we can nurture, cultivate, grow the health of our world, of our own lives. We can encourage that in our children, in our partners, professionally amongst our colleagues, and absolutely for our patients. So I will end this episode with gratitude, with appreciation, with connection. And I also noticed that this was episode 149 of all time, including some of the special tracks and all of the interviews. And so next episode, next recording, we'll have to do a 150th episode special edition. I thank you so much for tuning in, for being part of this conversation, for being for the health of all things. And I ask that if you enjoy the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, like, rate, review, and to share it with someone who you think would also enjoy. This is Dr. Millie Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.